Are you making progress spiritually? Are you growing in spiritual knowledge and understanding? Is your faith stronger than it was a year ago or two years ago? Do you know for certain that God hears your prayers? Or do you often feel like your prayers are unheard, unanswered, or ineffectual? If you feel spiritually isolated, weak, or that you're not making progress, it's probably because you need to more diligently seek God and do it in the right way. Not uncommonly, individuals blame God for their lack of faith and spiritual progress. It's not uncommon that those who are experiencing problems spiritually believe or claim that they have done everything but God has somehow let them down and some perhaps even sit in church for years and allege that God has not called them even though they've sat and had the scriptures explained perhaps read literature explaining the scriptures but claiming that God has not called them because not that God has not called them indeed, but because they are not willing to truly seek God and personally commit themselves to Him. The fact is, if you're here today, then God has called you. And if you have been exposed to the message of God's Word, message of the Bible and especially if it's been explained to you in a proper way then certainly God has called you and given you an opportunity to have a relationship with him God for millennia has sought out to those who are willing to hear the truth and act on it and he has given many people access to the truth. And especially in our age, with the availability of, of the Bible, which is perhaps more widely published than any other book in existence, and various means of having access to the truth, we have opportunities to know God and to have a relationship with him. But the fact is, in order to have a relationship with God, according to the scriptures, we must do our part. We must seek God. And not only seek God, but we must keep on seeking God as long as we draw breath. Because even if we have a relationship with God, it can slip through our fingers. It can slip away from us if we do not continue diligently to seek God. And today I want to talk about, for the sermon, the concept of seeking God and discuss how you can seek God, why you should seek God, and how you can go about doing that, and how you can actually find God and have a relationship with God. Not only relationship, but a more meaningful relationship and a relationship that will allow you to develop and grow spiritually more and more into the likeness of God. 
Over in 2 Chronicles, we have an example of someone, actually a whole people who failed to seek God, but in this particular case, especially one individual who was in a position of influence, actually was the king of Israel. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14, This is speaking of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who succeeded Solomon as king of Israel. And it was at his time after Solomon had built pagan altars for his wives and brought idolatry into Israel, introduced idolatry into Israel in a sort of official way as the king of Israel and in a sense sanctioned the worship of idols. And because of that, God rejected the house of David from ruling over the all of the tribes of Israel. He preserved the people of Judah for the descendants of David, but the other tribes of Israel went a separate way, and the nation was divided. But at first, Rehoboam was the king, and he succeeded his father and then was king over Judah after the division in the kingdom. But it says of Rehoboam in verse 14 here in Second Chronicles 12, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil. And why did he do evil? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Now, he could have sought the Lord. He could have had a relationship with God. He could have gone a different path, but he chose not to. He chose not to by failing to seek God. And so he failed spiritually, and he did evil because he did not seek God. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 3, It says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So here is a different king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and it says that he feared on hearing God's word and he sought the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. This was when Israel was under threat from their enemies. And so Jehoshaphat in this time of crisis sought God and the whole nation turned to God to seek God and what was the consequence of them doing this? In verse 30 it says, Then then the realm of uh, Jehoshaphat, which was the nation of Judah, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. God intervened for the people of Judah at that time because they turned toward God, their, their king turned toward God, and the people after him 
after his example, turned toward God and sought God, and as a consequence, they were saved from disaster. And now that can tell us uh, the difference that can be made in our lives and in our relationship with God and how God deals with us between seeking God or not seeking God. In Isaiah 45, verse 19, Isaiah 45, verse 19, God says, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So here God tells us in very plain words that, first of all, he is not, in a sense, hidden himself from mankind. He has made himself available. And also, it says very plainly that he did not say to the seed of Jacob, to the people of Israel, seek me in vain. God does not tell us to seek him in vain. And in fact, God tells us if we do seek him, there will be specific consequences as a, conse as a result of seeking God. God promises us that if we genuinely seek God, he will be found of us. Now, a common idea among many is that some are predestined for salvation and others aren't. That God has set everyone's fate beforehand and there's nothing you or I can do about our ultimate fate. That is a false idea. It's a false teaching. The idea that you have no control over your own destiny has always been prominent in heathen false religion but it is the opposite of the truth. The heathen Greeks and the Roman poets represented the decrees of the goddess of fate as immutable, implacable, and irrevocable. So humans had no control over their own destiny. Superstitious belief in fate or luck expressed through astrology and other means was prominent throughout the Middle Ages, as it has been to one degree or another throughout the entirety of human history, but it was especially prevalent during the Middle Ages. False ideas about predestination were further developed by early Protestant leaders. Martin Luther, for example, wrote, Who should and who should not have faith, and who should conquer sin, and who should not be able to do so is a matter taken out of our hands and is solely at God's disposal. Said Martin Luther. Or at least that was his teaching. And so we're helpless to do anything about our relationship with God and whether we sin or not sin is out of our hands, according to Luther. John Calvin, another prominent Protestant leader early in the Reformation, also taught that some are predestined to faith and salvation 
and others, actually the vast majority of people, are, are damned, predestined to damnation. And human beings are powerless to affect the destiny that God has decreed beforehand for every person or for any given individual. That is, those false teachings have been very popular. And many people, millions of people have believed those teachings, but they are false. They are not according to what God's word tells us. In fact, God tells us that he wants everyone, and in fact, he commands everyone to repent. Not some people, but everyone. And it is God's will that every person, every human being, find salvation. It is God's will that every person have a meaningful relationship with their creator. In fact, that's why he created us. That is the destiny for which God created every human being. And if we don't fulfill our destiny, it's not God's fault. It's not because God has not created us and given us the potential to have a relationship with him. It is because we, as human beings, have chosen a different course. From the very beginning, mankind chose to reject God's will for themselves and go a different path. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden where they had an intimate, personal relationship with God. And yet they forsook that, disobeying God, and chose rather to follow Satan's influence. And so God rejected them. And down through history, many others, not necessarily every single person, but many people, have had a definite opportunity to know God and to have a relationship with God but have not taken advantage of that opportunity. In fact, Israel especially had many opportunities. Opportunity after opportunity where God appealed to them over the centuries and yet they continued to diverge in their path from what God wanted them to do. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is longsuffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this tells us that it is God's will that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this is the very diametrically opposite teaching from this idea of predestination, this false doctrine of predestination that many have promulgated, the idea that God has somehow predestined certain ones for salvation and others for damnation, and nobody can do anything about that. Over in Acts chapter 17, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul was preaching to some idolaters in the city of Athens and explaining to them about the true God. And in verse 26 here of Acts 17, Paul said, He has made from one blood every nation of man to 
dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Yes, God has predetermined the bounds of their dwellings just as he predetermined many centuries in advance where Israel, where, uh, where the Israelites were going to dwell at a specific point in time. That doesn't mean, though, that God has established and predetermined the decisions that you will make in your life as an individual. God has a plan for mankind and a purpose. He had a purpose for Israel. He has a purpose for all nations, as Paul went on to explain here. God has pre, uh, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, what did that mean for Israel? It meant that God had predetermined an inheritance that he was going to give to the Israelites. And in that inheritance, God was going to bless them, provided they obeyed him. And he told them that. He said, I'll take you into this land and bless you there as long as you obey me. But if you disobey me, if you reject my commandments, then you will be cursed and eventually you will lose your inheritance. Now notice what Paul went on to say here about this. He said, why did God do this? So that they should seek the Lord. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about every nation. He, he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Not some men, but all men are commanded to repent. And that is God's will for every human being, that they seek God, that they repent of their sins, that they come to know God. Now, the Bible tells us of a great tribulation to come at the end of this age. And the reason that God is going to send that tribulation on Israel is so that they will be brought to the point where they are prepared and willing to genuinely seek God. That's the whole point of the tribulation. That was 
the point of the, the various times that God punished Israel in ancient times was so that they might be corrected and might see the error of their ways and turn from their sins and have a relationship with God. And that's why he's going to send the tribulation on the peoples of Israel, especially at the end time, and send other plagues and curses on all of mankind so that mankind will be brought to the point of repentance. Notice what we read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 25. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 25, God said to the Israelites as they were about to enter the land that he had promised them, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Now this actually happened anciently to the people of Israel, but it's also prophesied to happen again at the time of the end of this age. And there you will serve God's, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell, but from there, that is, in their captivity, from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Where you are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days. Now notice this is a prophecy for the latter days. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So notice why God will punish the people by sending them into captivity. So that they will be humbled and so that they will finally genuinely seek God. And we're told that if they do that genuinely that they will find God in their distress. When they turn to the Lord God and are prepared to obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. So God will not utterly forsake Israel. He will forsake them for a time. But it will be for a time only, and then he will remember them in their captivity and eventually deliver them. That's how God has dealt with Israel, and that's how he continues to deal with Israel and with mankind. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, we see what God told another king of Israel in 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 1. 
Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, who was king of Judah, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you seek God, he was told, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now verse 12, it says, Then they entered into a covenant, the people of Judah at this particular time, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. God delivered them from their enemies for a time because they sought him diligently and had they continued to seek God then they would have continued to enjoy the blessings that are given in the in that circumstance in first chronicles 26 first chronicles 26 verse 7 28 verse 7 excuse me first chronicles 28 verse 7 now this is the prophecy concerning the seed of David. And in verse 7 it says, Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, speaking of the son of David, and in, the, in this particular case Solomon. I will establish his king forever if he is steadfast in observing my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now therefore, in the sight of Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. Now notice the consequence of seeking out the commandments in other words, seeking a relationship with God. And the promise was that if they did that and were consistent in it and persevered in it, that they would continue to dwell in the land. And in verse 9, he said, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And that's what David told Solomon. If you seek him, he will be found by, by you if you forsake him he will cast you off forever 
Now the Hebrew word translated forever here is odd and it does not necessarily mean forever but can mean for a period of time. And that's really how God dealt with Israel because over the years Israel often turned away from seeking God and God would forsake them for a period of time as we just read in the previous scripture in Deuteronomy 4 that, that God will not forsake Israel forever but he will forsake them for a period of time and send them into punishment hold them accountable for their unwillingness to obey him and to seek him and God did that with Israel time and again he would punish them and eventually they would cry out to God and he would intervene for them and save them and give them another opportunity and God deals with mankind in that way the fact that a person has had one opportunity to know God and has not taken advantage of it does not necessarily mean that he is lost eternally as some think God is merciful now at the same time when we have that opportunity it would be greatly to our advantage to take uh, greatly to our benefit to take advantage of it and we should not neglect to seek God because God does hold us accountable there will be consequences if we fail to seek God the point is if we want a relationship with God then we must seek God and we must yield to God's will in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, 2 Chronicles 31 and verse 20, this is the example of Hezekiah. It says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. This was one of the few righteous kings of Judah, and he diligently sought God, as it says, with all his heart. And he prospered as a consequence. And all the other kings of Judah could have done the same thing. Most of them didn't, but they could have. So could the kings of Israel. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is often referred to as the faith chapter, notice what it tells us. about pleasing God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him.
if you want to please God, you've got to believe that God will reward those who seek him. You don't believe that God has already predestined billions of people to fail. You've got to believe that if one turns to God to seek God genuinely, that he will be rewarded accordingly. That God is just in his judgments. That he is equitable, that he is fair, that he will give everyone ample opportunity to know him, to have a relationship with him. That is a satanic doctrine, the doctrine of predestination, the idea that, that some have been predestined to be, or not some, but many have been predestined to be damned. The, 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 the idea of predestination is the Bible actually um, teaches it is that all people have been destined to have a relationship with God if they will do their part, if they will seek God. Everyone, anyone can have a relationship with God. We were destined for that. We were purposed for that. That's why God made us and created us, every single person. But we have to seek God to make it happen. And so it says here, to please God, you must believe not only that he is, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So how does one seek God? How does one go about seeking God in a way that is effective? Essentially, we seek God through communion with God. And we commune with God in various ways, but especially in prayer, in diligent Bible study, in fasting. And we seek God also through repentance and obedience to his will, to his commandments, his laws, his word. That's how one seeks God. We go to God, we commune with God, we seek God's will. We seek understanding of what God's will is and we conform ourselves to it. That's how one seeks God. And in order to have a relationship with God, that's what we must do. If we have to have a genuine relationship with God, we must wholeheartedly seek him and we must make seeking God the, the first priority in our lives. It has to be the most important aspect of our life. And nothing should be more important in our lives than seeking God. That doesn't mean you don't have room for other aspects of the things that you must pursue in life, but you've got to put God first. God wants to be first in your life. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, God is, this is a prophecy pertaining again to Israel. And in the context of this prophecy, it speaks of how God is angry because of their disobedience, because of the false prophets and how they have followed falsehoods. 
But notice in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts that I have or that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is going to, as we read earlier, send Israel into captivity for their sins, just as he did anciently. But even in captivity, God is not going to forget Israel. It says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So God is going to restore the nation, Israel, after they have been humbled and punished and they have turned their attitudes around and have decided to seek God with all their heart. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 33, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek, he said, first the kingdom of God. That should be the first priority in our lives. Seeking the kingdom of God, seeking a relationship with God, seeking God's righteousness, seeking to do what God wants us to do with our lives. And so, if we're going to have a really fruitful relationship with God, then we have to make that not just a priority, but the most important priority in our lives. And if we don't do that, then we're likely to not be doing the things that are necessary to have a fruitful and meaningful relationship with God, even if we know a good deal of the truth of God's word. We may still be lacking spiritually. We may not be growing. We may, we may, not, may not have the faith that we need to effectively serve God if we are not putting God first. It takes time and effort to seek God. <clears throat> and only you can decide that you're going to put in the, the effort and the time necessary. We mentioned that one of the ways that we seek God is in prayer. And it takes time to pray. You have to decide, I'm going to set aside the necessary time to pray. I remember seeing a movie about the Alamo, and the hero of this particular movie was Davy Crockett, 
played by John Wayne, and someone asked him in this movie, I don't know if this really happened or not, but it happened in the movie, but anyway, he was asked if he prayed to God, and his reply was, I never found the time. And that's true of many people. They don't find the time to pray. Now, every one of us has exactly the same amount of time every day. We've each got 24 hours every day. So we've all got the same amount of time. It's a matter of how you use your time. And are you going to decide that seeking God is important enough in your life to make time to pray? to set aside other things, other concerns, other responsibilities that we all have and decide you're going to spend some time in prayer. And not just a few seconds, but enough time to make a difference. A, a substantial amount of time to pray. And... There's no set amount of time that the Bible says we need to spend every day in prayer, but a good rule of thumb is at least an average of half an hour a day, maybe more. And you might ask, is it asking too much of yourself to spend half an hour a day communing with your Creator? Notice the example of Daniel, who was a man beloved by God and a man who was a faithful servant of God in very difficult circumstances. And he faced many trials and he faced them admirably because he had a meaningful relationship with God. He sought God. In Daniel 9 and verse 3, It says, Daniel said, I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Here Daniel was perplexed and he was seeking some answers to some questions he had. And it says that he set his face toward God to make request. Now this word make request, bakash, is usually translated seek. It can also be translated request or to seek out or inquire in similar meanings. But God, uh, Daniel sought God through prayer and supplications and with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. In chapter 6 of Daniel, we see more insight into Daniel's approach to his relationship with God. And in Daniel 6 and verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this was a decree that he was not to pray to God, it says uh, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. 
So Daniel set aside time, three different specific times during the day, to go to God in prayer. That would be a good example for us to follow, to specifically get on our knees to pray to God. Where you don't necessarily have to get on your knees every time. What's more important than the particular posture is the attitude and the fact that you take the time to pray. In Isaiah 55 and verse 17, or excuse me, Psalm 55 and verse 17, Psalm 55. In verse 17, this is a psalm of David. And he said here in verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So here we have the example of Daniel who prayed three times a day. And we have the example of David who also prayed three times a day. Another example that we might consider is the fact that in the temple service there were morning and evening sacrifices every morning, every evening and those sacrifices were always accompanied by prayer and so that too is an example of praying multiple times daily so we need to strive to seek God daily and preferably not just pray one time a day but more than one time Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians 6 and verse 18 Paul tells us here that he's given instructions to us and he says that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So he said we should be praying always. That doesn't mean every minute of every single day, but it means praying regularly, praying daily, praying consistently in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 1st Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 Paul tells us pray without ceasing pray without ceasing in other words again it doesn't mean that we are necessarily praying constantly every day all day long but it means that we pray daily on a consistent basis every day and that we keep on doing this as a matter of habit that we develop this practice of praying daily to God taking the time to pray now it's easy for anyone not to do that it's easy for us to busy ourselves doing other things being concerned with other pursuits and not take the time to pray that's the natural path that we could follow and that most people do in fact follow but 
we can choose to do differently. We can choose to take the time and to set our schedule so that we pray if we have to get up 30 minutes earlier than we're in the habit of doing in order to make time to pray, then that's what we ought to do. Or if we have to go to bed a little later to fit prayer into our schedule, whatever it takes in order to spend the time we need to spend praying. And it's again, it's easy to get caught up in the everyday affairs and activities of life and neglect prayer. So we have to make sure that we don't do that. To seek God requires an exercise of will and determination. Just like many other things that are worth doing, we have to focus on it and set ourselves to do it. Another aspect of seeking God is through fasting. And we've already touched on this. This has been alluded to in several scriptures we've read. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3. This is the example of Jehoshaphat. Again, we may have read this scripture earlier, but it says Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So notice that seeking the Lord went hand in hand with fasting in this particular case. And this is one of the tools that we have available to us that will help us in seeking God. In Ezra chapter 6, we read about Ezra as he was preparing to lead some people out of captivity and back to the land of Israel, back to Jerusalem. In Ezra chapter 8, or chapter, yes, Ezra 8, and verse 21. Ezra 8, verse 21. Ezra writes, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Or, yes, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and he answered our prayer. So notice that here was prayer coupled with fasting as a means of seeking God. Now, again, fasting is not something that necessarily comes naturally to most people. And going without food and water is not necessarily particularly enjoyable, but it is coupled with the right attitude and approach to fasting, doing it in genuine humility 
and taking the proper approach to fasting, then we can use that as a tool to aid us in seeking and finding God and building a stronger relationship with God. Along with fasting and prayer, we ought, ought to also be studying the Bible. And we should be studying the Bible daily just as we pray daily. In Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah 8 and verse 19, When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And that's what many people do. People pray to their ancestors. They pray to, quote, dead saints or saints who's, who, uh, supposedly saints who have died. Pray to the dead, which is something specifically forbidden for us to do in Scripture. We're not to pray to the dead. The dead are powerless to help us anyway, and this, yet this is a widespread tradition in many religions, including some forms of Christianity. In verse 20, it says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak, According to this word, it is because there's no light in them. So, what we should be doing is looking to the word of God. And we should not be listening to false prophets or false teachers who teach contrary to God's word. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And, of course, we're not going to know if they're speaking contrary to God's word or not unless we're actually studying the Bible to find out if what is being said is according to Scripture. And it's up to us to prove and to test those who claim to speak for God and determine if they're telling us the truth or not. We must prove all things. We must search the scriptures to find out if what is being said is the truth. And we need to go to God and pray and ask God for discernment and understanding so that we can know what is, what is the truth. In Psalm 1, Psalm 119, in verse 155, Psalm 119, verse 155, it says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. The statutes of God are written in the Bible. And so we need to seek God's statutes. We need to seek an understanding of God's will and what his requirements are for us. We can only do that with our own personal Bible study. And studying the Bible should not be just reading an article someone wrote about the Bible. Sometimes that can suffice for Bible study, but that should not be an exclusive way that we study the Bible. Some people 
Some people's idea of Bible study is to pick up an article in some publication and read it or maybe listen to a preacher on television or in some recording or something and that is their idea of Bible study. What we need to do is take out a Bible and read it. Read it and study it. And use tools that are available to us to help us understand. We can use articles and other tools to help us understand, but that should not be our exclusive source of teaching because what you're reading in an article may in fact be misleading. And it may not have the whole picture. It may twist the scriptures, as many articles do. And so we can't use just commentaries or articles or books other than the Bible. We need to get into the Bible itself and study it and find out what it really says. And what, what we find quite often when we do that is what the Bible itself says is often contrary to what is being taught by religious teachers. Now, along with prayer, fasting, and Bible study go repentance and obedience. One can study and he can pray, but if he is not willing to obey God, he's not going to have a meaningful relationship with God. In Psalm 119 and verse 1, Psalm 119 and verse 1, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his commandments, who seek him with the whole heart. Notice how seeking God is associated here with keeping God's word, walking according to his laws. They also do no iniquity. They walk in all his way, his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. So seeking God means you seek to find out what God wants you to do, and you do it. Put into practice those principles that you read about in the Bible, those commandments that God tells us to keep. In Psalm 34 and verse 10, Psalm 34 and verse 10 The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And this is the blessing that will come over time to those who seek God. It doesn't mean that you won't have any financial trials or setbacks or not have to struggle at times. But the end result of seeking God is that you will be blessed even though you may suffer sometimes even as a result of seeking God you may suffer persecution you may suffer in other ways various trials but ultimately you will be blessed 
Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and the ears his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. Notice it doesn't say they won't have any troubles, but it says if you're crying out to God and you're seeking God, you're putting away evil and doing good, then eventually God will deliver you from your trials. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Don't think that because you're trying to obey God, that you're praying and studying and trying, striving to be faithful to God that you'll never have any trials. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible does say is that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And sometimes, of course, that deliverance doesn't come until the resurrection. We read in the book of Revelation, for example, about martyrs who will give their lives as a testimony to those who hate God. And there have been many such people down through history. We read about some of them in the scriptures, and others are written of in history. Many have been forgotten, and yet they gave their lives in faith toward God rather than compromise the truth. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three and verse 10 Peter actually quotes from the psalm that we just read he who would have life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we need to do good, do God's will. In Ezra chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6, verse 21 Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. 
So they separated themselves from the heathenism and pagan practices that were all around them. They forsook those things and did so in order to seek God. And we have to forsake the influences of the world around us in a similar manner if we're going to seek God. The world is full of heathenish practices that are condemned by God. And if you are interested in having a relationship with God, you must separate yourself from those practices that are contrary to God's word. And that means that you're going to be doing things differently from everybody else, the others who aren't doing that. And often people will think you're odd or maybe criticize you or accuse you of in various ways because you make yourself separate from them but nevertheless that's what we must do to please God and that's what in this particular case the Israelites did they separated themselves from the unclean practices of the nations around them practices that God's word condemns so that they could seek God and so we must separate ourselves from unclean practices Sometimes being a Christian is lonely and it takes standing, being willing to stand out from the crowd. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. And this was in association with the dedication of the temple I believe for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually as for you if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you and if you keep my statutes and my judgments then I will establish the throne of your kingdom speaking to Solomon as I commanded as I covenanted with David your father saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them. And this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Now notice here that what God's demand is for us to have a relationship with him. We must observe his statutes and his commandments. And if we forsake them, then he will reject us. 
As for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore he has brought all this calamity on them. And in fact, that did happen eventually because Israel did that very thing. They forsook God and they worshipped idols. And so God sent their enemies in to destroy their land and their cities and their temple. Because they were disobedient to God's commandments. They were unwilling to repent of their sins. And they worshipped idols and they broke the Sabbath and they broke other laws of God. In 2 Chronicles 31 and verse 20. 2 Chronicles 31 and verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. So notice that part of seeking God here was doing what was good and what was right, and striving to find out what was required by God's laws and his commandments and doing it. And you can't genuinely seek God if you're not willing to find out what he wants in terms of obedience and repenting of your sins and striving to put God's laws into practice in your life. In Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah 55 and verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Notice this is put in conjunction with seeking God. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Now this is repentance. This is what repentance is. Turning from wickedness. Start, start obeying God. And he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. God is merciful to those who seek to have a relationship with him and are willing to forsake their sins and change and repent and help and, and with the help of God begin to be a different person a person that is obedient to God instead of rebellious toward God and his laws in Zephaniah chapter 3 Zephaniah 3 and verse excuse me Zephaniah 2 and verse 3 Zephaniah 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. 
So seeking God means seeking righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And so you may, in fact, be protected in the time, in the day when God executes his justice and his punishment on the nations or the nations, God may protect you from that. And we, we read in the book of Revelation about a portion of the church that is taken to a place to be nourished during the tribulation. Now, that should not be our primary goal in seeking God, but it is one of the things that the Bible discusses as, as a possible reward for seeking God. And there are examples of how people were protected even during the time of the Babylonian conquest and so forth. in ancient times. But the point is, we need to seek righteousness and humility and do what's pleasing to God. That's part of seeking God. If you're not willing to do that, you're not really genuinely seeking God. And many people falsely claim to seek God. In their own minds, perhaps, they are seeking God, but at the same time rejecting God's word and his commandments, claiming that God's commandments are done away, that the law was nailed to the cross, or that they have no obligation to obey the commandments because somehow Jesus did away with them. This is a common teaching among certain circles that claim to be Christian and believing that somehow they're exempted from obeying God's commandments when nothing could be further from the truth. That kind of approach to seeking God is futile and self-deceiving and will lead to disaster. Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs 1 and verse 28 Proverbs 1 and verse 28, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the eternal. They would have none of my counsel. They despised my every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. So if we reject God's counsel, if we reject his word, we may be seeking him in vain, because that's not, that's not how one truly seeks God. Seeking God requires obedience and repentance. In Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58 and verse 2, yet, yet they seek me daily, God is speaking here of 
Israel, and this applies to modern Israel as it did to ancient Israel. Yes, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take, take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So here are people who think that they are okay in the sight of God. They're religious. They go to church. They believe they're seeking God. But God says in verse 3, In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. In other words, they're going through these religious exercises, but they're practicing evil. Fasting should be directed at preparing one's heart to seek God and to hear God rather than is leverage to oblige God to hear you. And that's how many people approach fasting. They approach fasting as sort of a way of manipulating God, believing that if they go through this religious exercise, that God will be duty-bound to do whatever they want him to do. That's not the way it works. The proper way to fast is to go into a fast to seek God's will to find out what God wants you to change and to find out where your sins are so that you can repent of them to humble yourself before God so you can conform yourself to God's will not so that you can make God do your will in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13 Jesus Christ here is speaking to the churches and he says here in verse 13, Revelation 2, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you held fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who is killed among you where Satan dwells. Now notice what is said here, that they were holding fast to Christ's name and did not deny the faith, and that those things go hand in hand. To... Be faithful to the name of Christ implies that we are faithful to Jesus' teachings and practices, which is what the faith is. The faith are those things that were taught and are taught and practiced by Christ and are taught in, in God's word. And that's what we're to believe and practice. And so... If we want to hold fast to God's to Christ's name and not deny Christ, 
then we must be practicing the true faith. Notice what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 and verse 32. Matthew 10 and verse 32. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now the word confess here is homologo, which means literally to same speak or same think. And what it implies is that and it doesn't mean just an empty profession of faith. It doesn't mean just giving lip service. It implies abiding in Christ's word, speaking the things that Christ spoke, thinking the way Christ thought, and, and so imitating Christ, abiding in his word, and living in obedience to God as Jesus did. The word deny here is arnaomai, and it includes the idea of contradicting. And one may profess to believe in Christ or give lip service to Christ, but at the same time contradict or deny Christ in how he acts in his behavior in actions that are inconsistent with teaching the teachings and example of Christ that are contrary to Christ's word and in fact we're told various places in the scriptures that there would be false teachers and imposters who claimed to follow Christ but were denying Christ through their actions the Israelites in ancient times often professed to worship God while they were actively disobeying his commandments. And in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 20, 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 20, The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Notice they forsook God or denied God because they were transgressing his commandments. Now they were professing to be God's people. God's nation, but they were breaking his commandments and thus forsaking God or denying God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 11, this is a faithful saying 
For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And what this implies is repentance and sharing in the vicariously in the death of Christ and his resurrection, which is what we do in, in baptism. But we also do it as we live our lives once having been converted, if we're faithful. Goes on to say, if we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if we turn away from God, then we cannot expect to be rewarded with the blessings of God's kingdom. We must continue in obedience toward God and seeking God throughout our entire lives. In Matthew chapter 7, we read of those who use God's name and yet God says he does not know them. That is, they do not have a standing before God where he is willing to confess them. In Matthew 7 and verse 21, Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, there are many people who say that Christians don't have to do anything. But God's word says differently. It says, those who do the will of the Father are those who will be in God's kingdom. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Notice they're using Christ's name. They're teaching, they're prophesying, they're preaching in the name of Christ. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Casting out demons, healing the sick, doing miracles perhaps, or apparent miracles. Done many wonders in your name. Using the name of Christ, doing all of these things in the name of Christ, and yet it says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, how could this be that there are people doing all of these things in the name of Christ, and yet Jesus says, he will say to them, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. Notice in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from Thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, then, that does not bear good fruit is cast down and thrown into the fire. 
Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And so the fruits of lawlessness are unacceptable to God. And they may appear to be righteous to men, just as the Pharisees appeared to be righteous to men. But Jesus said of many of them that they were the children of the devil. And they were not obedient to God's word as they professed to be, as they pretended to be. They were not faithful. They did not believe God's word. They did not obey it. So we need to make sure that as we seek God, we seek God properly and put into practice his word and his will. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter warns us here there, there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So we're told very clearly here that there will be false teachers among us and it says many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed and this has happened historically there have come in false teachers who turned away from the teachings of God's word and spoke blasphemously of, of the word of God. And many, not a few, followed their teachings and continue to do so today. In Jude 4, Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, For certain men have crept in, Unnoticed, and this had, was already happening before the last of the first generation of Christians were all dead because Jude was writing this. He was still alive. He was one of Jesus' brothers, physical brothers. And he said certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn God's grace, his mercy into license. The word translated lewdness here in the New King James Version is eslegeia. Eslegeia is the Greek word. And it implies unrestrained or lawless behavior. Using grace as an excuse to, to act without restraint or lawlessly. And this is what many 
teachers claiming to represent Christ have done, telling people that they're free to do as they want because the law is slavery. The law is done away with. We don't need to keep God's commandments. Jesus did it for us or similar teachings or maybe even teaching that we should keep the commandments on a superficial level but then having all kinds of traditions and customs which are flatly contradictory to what God tells us to do. And this was what the Pharisees were guilty of. They pretended to teach obedience to God's word, but in their traditions, they often flatly contradicted and disobeyed God's word. These are ways that people have been deceived. And if we are fooled into that sort of religion, if we're fooled into following that sort of religion, we may think that we have a relationship with God. We may firmly believe that we're seeking God, but we will in fact be denying Christ and will not have the kind of relationship with God that we think we have or that we might even want to have. So we have to be careful about how we approach seeking God and make sure that we're doing it properly and in accordance with God's word. In Titus 1 and verse 16, Paul wrote to Titus about those falsely believing or claiming to have a relationship with God. In Titus 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So we can't deny God in how we live our lives if we want to have a relationship with him. What we must do is learn to deny ourselves. We must learn to discipline ourselves. We must learn to subordinate our own desires and our own will to the will of God. And now, of course, that's not easy. That is, in fact, something that requires God's help for us to do. But he will give us the help we need if we seek it of him requires God's spirit to overcome in that manner. But God will make that spirit available to us if we genuinely seek him and are striving to overcome. In Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up the cross is a metaphorical way of saying be willing to sacrifice to give up whatever is necessary to give up to follow Christ for whoever desires to save his life will lose it and often 
It's not necessarily safe in this world to be a Christian. It's not comfortable because that is contrary to the way the whole world is geared. It puts you in conflict with things that are going on in the world, the, the whole society. The whole course of society is contrary to God's will and his word. And so we may have to either lose our lives literally or give up a com- you know, certain comforts, even maybe friends, associates, uh, things that we might like to do. We may have to give those things up to follow Christ. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we must be willing to give up our lives and even literally die if necessary, even as Jesus gave up his life to serve God. And God doesn't necessarily require that we all become martyrs, but he may require that of some of us. And in any case, we've got to be willing to give up what is ever is necessary to sacrifice to please God. Presumably, we all want to be growing spiritually, at least I hope we do. We want to overcome our weaknesses, probably, and sins. Certainly, we ought to be wanting to do those things. We want to be in God's kingdom. And if we want those things, then seeking God is not an option. It is a requirement. It's an absolute requirement that we seek God if we want to be in his kingdom. If we want to grow spiritually, if we want to make spiritual progress, we must be seeking God. We must be exercising the will, the diligence, putting forth the effort to seek God in the right way with all our hearts. So what I'd like to encourage each of us to do is to seek God daily and never cease to seek God. And if you do that, God tells us and assures us if we do that, we will find God and our salvation ultimately will be assured. 